everybody. Welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. How's everyone doing today? I'm fantastic. I don't, I don't know about everybody else. I mean, I'm tired, but I'm fantastic. That's Patrick. And as always. As always. And I'm your host, Courtney. Who didn't replace me yet, so that's no. Good. No, I have a feeling that I'm just going to be in one of those goofy moods because I'm kind of in one of those. It's the last day of school for our kids. And so we're, um, I don't know. I don't know if we're scared or excited. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> There's another day for me. I had work, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm just getting home from work, so. But it feels like today, above all other days, feels like summer to me because it's so hot. I, I know it's been hot well, before. Well, it's not just that. It's but today it was school, right? like 100 degrees when we went yeah, on and our it's walk. it's been like that for a couple of weeks, but like legitimately yeah. the kids are out of school, so it makes it feel even more summery because you know it's real. It's, it's real. It's freaking happening. It's happening. They're fucking here. They're not going anywhere for another three months. Right. So much so, I usually just drank at the beginning. I was ner- When I was nervous, I would have like some wine when we podcasted, and I stopped doing that. But now, I poured a glass of wine, and I'm just enjoying it. Of course, over ice, because I'm a basic white bitch. But I'm really enjoying myself tonight. I'm just kind of in the, in the zone, in the mood. For a good true crime story. I don't know about you. This is going to be fucking weird because you're definitely really weird right now. I am? A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) I've only had one sip of wine. A little quirky today. It's kind of, uh, (laughs) so let's see how fun this one goes. (laughs) But before we get started, I have got to tell y'all about a true crime podcast that I have been really enjoying. Um, It's called Crim Della Crime. And it's hosted by the beautiful Inside and Out, Sam Randall. Her podcast is dedicated to bringing awareness to unsolved missing person cases, which is just amazing. That's that's awesome. And the first year of her podcast, she's covering some of the most bizarre unsolved cases from every state in the U.S. in alphabetical order. How cool is that? Like, that's so original. It is original. That sounds like a lot of work to me. I'm not going to lie. It is. It's a lot of work. But if anyone can do it, she can do it. Her voice is super soothing. I like to listen to her in the morning when I'm getting the kids ready. I feel it makes me feel a little more calm than I am. But she's so respectful of all the families and her retelling of the story. She's a sweetheart. So please go and check her out and follow her anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And with that said, am I turning my head too much? You are bouncing <laughs> all over the place. I'm sorry. I thought the mic picked up what's around me. It, it, it does, but you get softer and quieter. Oh, okay. And I'm sorry. So are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's get going. No other business, I don't think. So do I have a crazy story for you today? As per usual, right? Let's say because we always do tame, calm, like puppy dog stories here. No. I was looking through my collection of scumbags to cover for you guys. You have, and you have a collection of I have, scumbags? I have a nice collection. Like a douchebag Rolodex? And um, actually kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I stumbled upon an actual trio of serial slash spree killers, which is pretty darn rare if you ask me. And I don't think we have ever covered spree killers here before. No, not at all. And you know it's even more rare, Patrick? that this trio of killers are siblings. Oh, nice. And these killers have eyes shit or something like that. (laughs) Kind of. And these guys are definitely evil pudding. So they fit our bill. Sweet. So today we are going to be talking about the Briley brothers. Have you heard of them? No, 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 I hadn't either. 
they terrorized uh, Richmond, Virginia in the 70s. So okay. Virginia is getting some recognition today. We haven't covered Virginia. It's nice to move away from Florida and poor California. California. <laughs> really California, yeah. This crew killed all ages, all races, and all genders. They killed really just to kill. Hmm. And they were disorganized as hell. In fact, they murdered with such versatility that the police never saw a pattern. And I'll give them this. Even after they were captured, they managed to shock and amaze me. Not in a good way, of course. But once the story ends, no. it doesn't end. So okay. it, this is a, this is going to be a journey, you guys. So stick with me till the end. That's crazy, though. It's, it's almost like <laughs> killers like that or those kind of crimes are like they're so disorganized. It's almost like was it organized to be that disorganized? So they like literally probably so that no one would ever connect it. Like it's, a, it's an interesting theory. Probably like, it's an interesting theory to think that someone could do crazy stuff all over the map. And you're like, cause we've seen it on all these killers. Like they never yeah. tie together because they're different. Right. Especially in the seventies, they had to be identical for them to be like, Oh, it's the same person. Yeah. And so yeah, police never caught on. Like if you shot somebody, stabbed someone and then killed someone with a bat, they would never connect the three. Yeah. Regardless and of any other thing. Sadly, else. this was in the beginning of, well, right in the middle of the crack epidemic as well. So, I mean, Robbery, yeah, murder was just, you know. Assault, robbery, murder for drugs and money. That was was a Tuesday. Everywhere. Yeah. So today's going to be a damn roller coaster. Okay. As usual, this episode is shocking, and these people did some horrendous foul things that have kept me up at night since researching, literally. So trigger warning, guys. We're going to be talking about animal abuse, murder, torture, of course, sexual assault, that's one thing all these people have in common. Just another day at the pudding pod, right? Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, parental guidance is suggested. And if this stuff bothers you, uh, I don't know if you want to listen, but that's every one of our episodes. So if you're listening, you know what we cover. So hopefully you're uh, prepared for whatever. Mom, skip to the next one. <laughs> whatever ridiculousness Courtney dug up for this one. So without further ado, let's take a look at the pathetic life and crimes of the Briley brothers. So the Briley brothers, by all accounts, were raised in a very loving home in Richmond, Virginia's Highland Park. James Sr. and Bertha Briley had three boys, Linwood, the oldest, James Jr., the middle child, and Anthony, the baby. Linwood was the oldest child. He was smart, cunning, and the clear leader of these brothers, especially James Jr., who, and I'm not trying to be mean, but he just was not the brightest crayon in the in the box. He just wasn't that bright. So he just followed his older brother around like a puppy. It's okay to be mean to James, don't worry. Ever since Linwood was young, his parents were absolutely terrified of him. And in turn, they were terrified of all of their sons since they all did exactly what their big brother asked of them. Mm, one of those families. James Sr. get this. James Sr. kept five padlocks on him and Bertha's bedroom door out of sheer fear of his offspring. Well, that's fucking lovely. The boys also were said to have an affinity for not so nice pets. They had various pets like snakes, tarantulas, scorpions, and I believe they trained their Dobermans to be mean, like be attack dogs. Yeah, yeah. At one point, they were even saving their money to buy an alligator. Because <laughs> that's what people keep as pets is fucking alligators. Thankfully, I don't believe that one panned out. It is also widely speculated that the boys were involved in something called zoo sadism. Have you heard of that? I have not. 
Have you heard of that? No, but it sounds like they get sick and derive pleasure from torturing animals. Yes. I had to look it up, but um, I wish I didn't. Effectively, it's a type of paraphilia in which uh, sexual arousal and satisfaction are obtained from torturing an animal. Yep. Yeah. So I thought at first maybe it's like bestiality. It's not different. No, it's not. It's, it's different. It's almost like torturing them and beating them and whipping them and stabbing them and cutting them and burning them. And- or, you know, they, I, I mean, it's kind of like raising uh, mice to feed to, you know, your snake, but then getting off on it, I think, is what they were doing. I, I, I think I saw in some research that it said that. Okay. But they're just, you know, and these are kids. <laughs> these are kids. <laughs> As you can probably tell, these kids are not going to make us very proud in this story. We're (laughs) in for a wild ride. So in 1971, on a hot summer day, 16-year-old Linwood Briley was just standing in his open bedroom window, looking outside down on his sweet elderly neighbor, Orlean Christian. She was out hanging her freshly washed bedsheets on the line. Linwood, remember he's the oldest, went and grabbed his rifle, cocked it, slid one bullet into the chamber, and shot Mrs. Christian directly in her neck. She reached up and grabbed behind her neck as if she had just been like bitten by a mosquito, and then she fell to the ground. Linwood watched as she took her final breaths and hung his rifle back on his bedroom wall. He heard the police and ambulance sirens coming to his neighbor's house and really fully expected police just to come knocking on his door to arrest him, but they never did. Thinking he had gotten away with it, Linwood quickly ran and told his younger brothers, bragged to them really, what he had done. And they were like, oh my God, you're so cool. I'm so impressed. What the fuck? They thought that he was just like the coolest, baddest dude ever. He described to them how alive he had felt taking a life. The next day, Mrs. Christian's son told James Sr., their dad, that his mother had sadly died of a sudden heart attack most likely brought on by the passing of her husband the month before. So they hadn't seen the bullet wound. No, which is weird because you would think there'd be a lot of blood. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. At Mrs. Christian's funeral, one of her granddaughters was leaning into her casket to kiss her grandmother's body goodbye when she noticed a small hole in her grandmother's neck. Finally. She ran to her father and was like, what's that? And her father, in turn, asked the funeral director, And if you're like me, you're thinking, how in the hell could they miss that when they were getting her body ready for viewing? Or when they took it or when they were (laughs) investigating what happened to her when an ambulance came. I mean, she's got to have blood coming out if she got shot in the fucking neck. It just makes no sense. The answer to that is I have no idea. I just report the news here. (laughs) Anyways, another examination of her body was ordered. And the next day, the medical examiner determined that she had likely been killed by a bullet to the neck. The trajectory of the bullet was traced to a room of the second-story window of the house next door to Orleans, the Briley house. And we know whose room that is, Linwood's. Mm-hmm. After a quick search of the Briley home, a small, caliber, a small caliber rifle was recovered and Linwood just confessed to Orlean Christian's murder. This is bonkers. At his trial, he told the jury, and I quote, I killed her because I knew of her heart problems and she was going to die real soon anyway. So a mercy killing Linwood? (laughs) No. Yeah. Dr. Death over there, huh? But by some stroke of luck for Linwood, not for the general population, the jury sympathized with the 16 year old. 
and sentenced him to only one year out of reform school for murder. Yeah. Now, the same year, that same year that Linwood was away at reform school, not getting reformed, (laughs) his younger brother, James, the middle child, had begun to commit robberies, robbing homes in their neighborhood and hitting up corner stores using his father's 32 caliber pistol that he had stolen. When the police caught him during an on-foot chase, James fired off three shots at one of the pursuing officers. I couldn't find if he hit the officer or not, but regardless, he was only sentenced to one year in juvenile detention. And the stars aligned such that his release date was nearly the same as his older brother's. Mm -hmm. So these two monsters had either taken a life or attempted to take a life and they each just got one year. That's a slap on the wrist. So when Linwood got out, he was just 17, almost 18, which made James Jr. about 14 or 15. So as you can imagine, they didn't exactly learn their lesson. No, they got a slap on the wrist for doing this stuff. Yeah. If anything, it probably emboldened them to be like, It did. I'm not, I'm not going to get in that much trouble for doing this shit. It did. So fast forward seven years to the fall of 1978. Linwood, the oldest, was now 23. James was 19, and Anthony, the baby, was only 13. So for the remainder of this story, please keep in mind Anthony's age. By now, the trio had been up to no good for quite some time, roaming the streets together, when they met a younger neighbor, 12-year-old Duncan Meekins. The boys took Duncan in as an honorary Briley brother, and in turn, Duncan idolized them. So the trio had now become a quad. Oh, lovely. One more douchebag for the bunch. Absolutely. So the boys would rob people and houses together in an effort to make extra cash. But they never really scored anything big. Amateur robberies, if you will. Well, they're not planning out these detailed robberies. They're just trying to knock people over, like you said, to get extra cash. So they're taking whatever cash they have, maybe some extra jewelry to go pawn or something like that. Yep. So only having a few bucks between them, they decided one day to go to the movies. They saw a movie that was playing in the theater called The Toolbox Murders. Mm -hmm. This movie was about a serial killer named Vance that had gone crazy after the death of his daughter, and he killed people using screwdrivers, hammers, and power tools while donning a ski mask. This movie fascinated Linwood and James, the older of the the older of the four. They were like, oh my God, goals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the two older boys immediately started planning a murder rampage because A, killing is fun, and B, these small-time robberies just weren't bringing in the kind of cash that they wanted. Okay. So Linwood decided to name their gang the Vances. Soup's creative, Linwood. After the serial killer in the movie. So they're the Vance gang. Great. Not only that, but Linwood ordered each boy to bind their own ski mask, and it had to look just like Vance's ski mask in the movie. Anthony and Duncan should be dressing up like superheroes or something, not serial killers, but that's just me. They're like 12 and 13. (laughs) Then came the issue of weapons. Luckily, Linwood had a bunch of hunting knives gifted to him by his uncle, an avid hunter, because that's exactly what Linwood needs. Oh, yeah. Plus, they had stolen a number of handguns from break-ins, so they were really all set. They decided to map out some more prominent areas in Richmond to hit. The neighboring town of Enrico fit the bill just perfectly. So for the next couple of months, the gang decided to, quote, 
practice. They committed a few robberies and even beat up an occasional drug abuser or prostitute just to get a feel for it. They even practiced some killing techniques on animals. They poisoned a few pets and stray cats and dogs, whatever they could find. Didn't we see that with Bob the Butcher? He did that in college? Yep. And somehow, in the middle of all this, the boy's father, James Sr., thought it would be a terrific idea to go out and buy his eldest son, Linwood, a car. So now the kids all had transportation to mobilize their upcoming reign of terror. (laughs) And a horrible killing spree was about to begin. Now hold on to your butts because you're not going to believe the violence that comes out of this crew of children. I'm feeling like it's going to get ridiculous because it hasn't yet. Yeah, it's crazy. So on March 12th, 1979, Linwood, James Jr., Anthony, and Duncan drove around the north side of Richmond looking for a victim. They spotted a small but nice ranch-style home off of Horsepin Road where elderly couple William and Virginia Boucher had just sat down in front of the TV to enjoy dinner together while watching Little House on the Prairie. That's adorable. (laughs) The Vance gang parked up the road from the house out of view from the front porch of the Boucher residence and grabbed their weapons. Each were armed with two guns. The younger three kind of hung back, ski masks on, while Linwood went up to the home and banged hard on the front door, startling the couple inside. Linwood, through the door, claimed that his car had broken down and he needed some jumper cables. Mr. Boucher shouted through the door and asked if he lived around here, and Linwood responded that he lived with his uncle on the street behind the church, remembering that he had seen a church on the way. Immediately, William Boucher knew the large stranger outside was lying. He had been at this residence for years and knew everyone in that neighborhood, and there were only two families that lived in homes behind the church, and he and his wife knew both of them. While Mr. Boucher pondered on how he could kind of get rid of the large, scary man outside, Linwood kicked in the front door with so much force that it threw Mr. Boucher down onto the ground. The other three gang members quickly came rushing in. And by this time, poor Virginia Boucher was curled up on the couch in her nightgown with a blanket wrapped around her, whimpering in pure fear. Linwood held his gun to her head so that she wouldn't move. James Briley took it upon himself to strike William in the head with his pistol and dragged him to the living room with his wife. Anthony and Duncan went and checked the other rooms just to make sure no one else was present. And after it was confirmed that the after it was confirmed that the house was clear, the Bouchers were both gagged and restrained, giving the gang a chance to grab anything and everything they deemed of value in the house. The gang gathered a black and white TV, speakers, silverware, jewelry, a boombox, and some other small belongings. Remember, it's the seventies. So. Yeah. Did they have boomboxes in the 70s? Yeah, I guess so, because they had one. Making many trips back and forth to the car, loading up all the stolen items. So they were in and out quite a bit. Mr. and Mrs. Boucher prayed they would hurry up, just take what they wanted and leave. They were relieved when the gang made the last trip out to the car with their valuables. Just as Mr. Boucher was contemplating how to get himself untied, Linwood returned with a big red gas can. Mm Mm-hmm. This poor couple knew exactly what was coming. I can't even begin to fathom. 
Lynn would douse the couple in gasoline and the chemicals burn their eyes as they tried their best to struggle and free themselves. Virginia was screaming in pure terror. Then their attacker struck a match, lit his Newport cigarette, took a long drag, and then flung it in the couple's direction before leaving and closing the door behind him. Flung the cigarette or flung the match? Flung the match. A blue flame crawled up the pant leg of Mr. Boucher, and he screamed and tried to wiggle free as the flame started to overtake him. Virginia's nightgown began to catch fire as well, and she screamed in agony as it melted to her skin. William was not going to take seeing his poor wife being burned alive, so he began to rock his chair back and forth, and that motion made the cheap wooden chair fall to its side and hit the floor. Luckily, the fire had weakened the rope securing his wrists together, so he was able to slip his hands out from his bindings, leaving burnt flesh attached to the cinched ropes. He was in agony, but he was going to save his woman, man. Yeah, I mean, he's going to do what he can. God, I can't imagine. See why it kept me up now? Yeah. (laughs) He untied his wife, and they ran out the front door, the couple rolling around in their front yard to extinguish what was left of the flames on their body, screaming in an ungodly amount of pain. Can you imagine the amount of pain they were in? A passerby in a car saw the couple along with the burning house. Thankfully, they pulled into the Boucher's driveway and got them the help they needed. Virginia and William Boucher would be the only survivors of the Briley brothers and Duncan Meekins of their murderous rampage. And Mr. Boucher, may I say, is a hero. <laughs> He's I mean, amazing. <laughs> he did what he could to save his He was ready to die to save his wife. And he Absolutely. And that, you know, that's, burning alive is what they consider. It's, you know, it's considered to be one of the top two or three worst Most painful ways, ways to go. Drowning, burning alive. Those are pretty much the two like biggest fears anybody has. Absolutely. I can't imagine. Just imagine like when you burn your hand, how much it hurts and that on a huge scale and your and whole then you're body. And immobilized. Like you can't oh, even move to put it out. Like you're no. just stuck. You can't even scream because you're gagged. Yeah. And you're just in that much pain. No, oh. thank you. You've got to be evil to do that crap. Sadistic for sure. Sadistic. Evil pudding, if you will. Well, that's why they're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. The gang had made out like bandits. They pawned off several items and used a fence to sell the rest. I watch cops, so I know what a fence is. <laughs> do you know what a fence is? Seriously? Oh, I know you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. someone that I moves, thought I was going to get someone you. that moves stolen items. Okay, to resell. They buy and sell stolen items. Well, never mind. I thought I was going to get Patrick, but I forget like, that you forgot how long I was a cop. I know a fence. <laughs> Plus, I've watched you know a TV show or two. Yeah, that's true. So you know, I like them shoot them up movies. Oh, there's I know always, you there's do. always a fence. How do you think they get their guns? What at is home? it? The Jason Statham movies? I'm so tired of the no, same John movie. Wick. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, those aren't too bad. I don't mind. Fast those. and the Furious. I mean, let's, let's be serious here. The first twelve were Expendables. okay. <laughs> I like shooting things and blow Rambo. Let's go. Let's shoot things and blow them up. But come on, not better than like murder and rape that you watch all the time. <laughs> I don't watch rape all the time. I watch true crime documentaries and ID. Yeah, it's my comfort show. And you started that with. Law and Order SVU, which is literally a show about sexual assault. No, not all the time. Kind of, but. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There we go. So um, all the guns that they had stolen from Mr. and Mrs. Boucher were kept, however. They didn't pawn those off. So Linwood and Anthony now had quite the arsenal at their home by now. I was going to say, if you got a bunch of guns from them, fuck that, selling that shit. Now you got like, you got an arsenal to use. Yep. 
Which is totally what they need. They definitely need an arsenal. Well, I mean, there was two elderly people and four basically teenagers with eight guns. Like, they needed all that firepower. Yeah. Ten different handguns, eight shotguns, and more hunting knives than one would ever need. That was their arsenal. Right now. they I'm sure they'll get more later. So they were feeling pretty high on life. They had a big pile of money, and to their knowledge, no victims were alive to identify them. Yeah, they think they're dead. Yeah. 12-year-old Duncan, amazed at the amount of money the gang had just accrued, was in awe of his adopted family. Oh, he's 12 years old. He's got hundreds of dollars probably at this point. Like, what? However, Linwood told him, don't let your mom see all that cash you got on you. And this is a quote. We fuck around and we'll have to kill her ass too. And I'm sure after the violence Duncan had just witnessed, he wholeheartedly yeah. believed him. He just him. watched this dude light two people on fire alive, tied up. So he's like, yeah, you're going to kill my mom if I fuck this up. You will, won't you? <laughs> With that, Linwood stated that this was only the beginning and that he planned on, with the help of his brothers, turning Richmond into a war zone. To seal the deal, he took out a knife, sliced his hand, and passed the knife around for the other brothers to do the same. A blood pack was made for the quad to stick together and die if they have to. That's so immature. I know they're children, but it's like the immaturity of these people. Well, not so the much the childlike mentality. No, of, say, of Linwood, the 23-year-old. I was going to say, not so much the little ones, because that's some crap, especially back then, kids did. Yeah, that's true. Um, teenage boys, like, like younger ones do that kind of stuff, but like a 23-year-old doesn't do that with a 12-year-old. Did you ever make a blood pact? Not that I know of. I don't think I did either. But you watch movies like Stand By Me and all those. Yeah, they all do that. And all those like they do these blood packs, like these little Swiss Army knives. They pop out these little cuts and they make a blood pack. Not like this shit, though. No. And not with a 23 year old grown ass man that just lit people on fire. I know. I'm not making a blood pack with that dude. Or maybe you would because you're scared he's going to light you on fire. You hit me that knife and I'm that scared of him. (laughs) Stab his ass with it. So the high didn't last long, though. James Briley saw the news the next day and learned that the couple they thought they had burned alive had survived. When he told Linwood, Linwood's response was, and I quote, trust and believe that's the last time something like that will happen. From now on, we are killing everybody at the scene before we leave. Well, no, yeah. Instead of fucking around and like torturing them, they're just going to shoot them and stab them now. Guaranteed. We'll see. It's the only way you can be sure that they're dead. Nine days after the robbery and attempted murder of the Bouchers, the gang was joyriding when they decided to go on what they call a mission. That's what they called it. But it was just a night of looting, robbing, and maybe even killing. Who knows? See where the night takes us. <laughs> Anthony, the youngest Briley brother, wasn't thrilled about this mission. He'd rather be at an arcade because, you know, he's a child. 13, yeah. yeah. But he knew he pretty much, you know, had no choice. They all went back to the Briley house to change into their all-black clothing and to choose their weapons before heading out to hunt. <laughs> like Mortal Kombat. Choose your weapon. Yeah, you yeah, my kids all come home and they're in normal clothes and they're all leaving in black all blacked out clothes. Oh, the parents are locked in their bedroom. They're scared shitless. Guns and ski masks. I'm like, cool, y'all have fun. Yeah. As they drove past the movie theater, they spotted twenty year old Michael McDuffie, a vending machine technician, leaving. He had just finished fixing a broken pinball machine inside the Carpenter Theater and was on his way home for the night. Thinking he would have lots of money on him, the boys followed him home, staying far enough behind him so that they wouldn't be noticed. Michael pulled up and parked in the driveway of his home, got out of the car, when suddenly a dark-colored car sped up 
and screeched to a stop right behind him, nearly hitting him. Before Michael could even figure out what in the hell was happening, four boys jumped out of the car. He was immediately hit in the head with the butt of a gun, and just everything went black. He later woke up in his home, tied to a chair, and four masked men, all with small bags, were ransacking the home he lived in by himself. One of the men approached Michael and said, You got any more money hidden anywhere? And don't lie to me or I'll kill you right now. Michael calmly said, All I have is what's in my wallet, and I'm sure you already have that. Well, the masked assailant was surprised, and he thought that Michael was kind of being a smartass. And Mm. how dare you talk back to me? If you can't guess, that's Linwood. Oh, yeah. No shit. So he aimed a three fifty seven at Michael's head and fired one shot in the center of his forehead, blood spattering behind him all over the wall. The gang packed up their stolen goods, loaded their loot into the car, and drove off, holding true to their word that they'd leave no survivors. The following week, the murder of Mr. McDuffie made the news. However, it was just labeled as a robbery with no suspects. Unfortunately, this was all happening right smack in the middle, like I said earlier, of what was called the crack epidemic. And and robbery and murder were just at an all-time high, so police wouldn't be able to quickly realize that any of the Briley brothers' past and future crimes were linked. They use this to their advantage for sure. No, the Bradley 100%. Brothers. Like it's, it's the crack epidemic, right? So literally anybody that's looking for a fix, anybody that can't get their hands on something or doesn't have the money to do it, they're literally robbing people. They're killing them if they have to uh-huh. just so they can get a fix. So that's what this looks like. They literally are robbing and killing. So it looks like it, you know, it fits every other crime in that time period the police are looking into that are, you know, violent robberies and murders because it's all these crackheads right. trying to get their fix. So they're just chalking it up to like, oh, here comes another crackhead or group of crackheads trying to get money for a fix. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, it's a perfect storm for the brothers. I mean, it's just, it's perfect timing. If nothing perfect else, timing. Right? It's yeah. perfect. I mean, I'm not sure they were calculated in doing it because of that. I don't think it doesn't they're sound that like smart. It. it sounds like they just wanted to rob and kill people. They're not organized. That's are what they? I mean. No. Yeah. It sounds very... like they just wanted to rob and they're not organized to your point. They're just randomly choosing people. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not doing what you see with these organized serial killers and stuff that are stalking. You know, Ted Bundy's stalking his victims. These other people are watching their people and what they're doing and they're planned and they're organized to do the same thing. For God thing. knows how long. You know, yeah. The butcher was cutting people up and disposing them the same way every single time. It's yeah. very organized on how they handle things. Do you think, is this the first disorganized killers that we covered? I think mm-hmm. it is, isn't it? No, know. the vampire, vampire the yeah. vampire killer was Vampire of Sacramento was a highly disorganized, very disorganized dude. Now I'm thinking of other podcasts that I've, I've listened to and other stories I've listened to that were very disorganized. You know what this yeah. kind of reminds me of? Mm. Is and I brought it up during the Vampire Sacramento. Mm. It sounds like the vampire murders. Oh, the, the kids, kids from the kids the from kids. was it Georgia or Tennessee yeah. that drove down to Florida to for the rob. concert. No, they, they went down to rob his girlfriend's parents and stuff like that. Weren't they, they picking up, her up to go to a concert? They were picking her up to go to a concert and they decided um. to rob her or use her car, steal her car to go do something. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the older one went in and just fucking murdered everybody. God, that's disorganized. That's not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds just like that. It does. So the brothers and Duncan were feeling downright invincible knowing police had no suspects. We see a pattern. They start feeling invincible. It's every time. Every like clockwork. Killer. Disorganized organs. You know, it's that ego that I'm better and smarter than you. You haven't caught me. I can keep doing it. However, Linwood was getting paranoid driving his car. He had been using that particular vehicle his father had purchased for him to commit a number of crimes, and he felt that it was time to change it up. Yeah, to include the one that has victims that survived. 
This is kind of a funny story to me. It just shows you how scary and cocky this SOB is, Linwood. So there was this guy that Linwood sometimes bought his pot from, and he happened to be selling an earlier model Buick. Is it a Regal or Regal? Regal. Regal. A Buick Regal for $800 flat. Like, don't don't play me. It's flat. Like, 800 bucks. Take it or leave it. So Linwood went and picked up Anthony to go and buy the car, only bringing $700 with him, knowing that his pot dealer was dead set on selling it for $800. Linwood just walked up and was like, you're going to hand over this car and the title for $700. And this in Linwood is, I'll, of course, post a picture, but he is so huge, so terrifying. He looks, his eyes, there's nothing behind them. He's just mean. He's just an evil dude. And uh, seeing as how Linwood looks like that, the de- dealer was like, okie dokie, artichokey. Yep, 700 is good go. for me, buddy. In fact, just take it. <laughs> no, I'm I'll take you 700. That is perfectly fine. Yeah, he just walked up and was like, this is what's going to happen. And it happened, you know, but that was him. He was terrifying. <laughs> that cracked me up. It's not so funny now retelling it, but in my mind, it, I laugh for days. <laughs> Okay. So our boy Linwood was now the proud new. Hey, my boy. <laughs> He's not mine either. He was now the proud new owner of a Buick Regal. 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 I'll have to church it up. It's not French. <laughs> Regal. Church it up? Yeah, you don't have to church it up, make it off. It's not Target. It's Target. It's not Regal. It's no, Regal. it's Target. <laughs> <laughs> soon, <laughs> soon after the gang hopped in Linwood's new Buick Regal. And went to the movie theater to <laughs> see it like that. Not instead of regal, you don't have to wriggle. 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 Buick wriggle. And went to the movie. They went to the movie theater to see Amityville Horror, the original, the OG. Oh, gosh. That had just come out. The film was bloody and violent. Well, for back then. And it caused like a bloodlust in this group, which of course. <laughs> they're watching a movie that everyone's loving. And it's like blood and murder. And yeah, hell like, yeah. Hell yeah. We got to go fucking kill people. bro. They, they even stayed for another showing. I mean, like, that's how much they I don't lie about that. It was a good movie, but it's also a testament as to like how immature they are. I know and like 12 and 13, but the older ones, it's like, well, they're obviously mentally like 12 and 13. Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. So they left the theater wanting to murder someone. So as they drive, as they drove, excuse me, passing around a joint and sharing a bottle of brandy, they Ooh. spotted 76-year-old Mary McGowan unloading her groceries in her driveway. She had decided to do her grocery shopping after having babysat all day. After seeing her, the gang masked up, parked in the woman's driveway behind her, and rushed the woman. Before she had a chance to scream, one of the boys stuck a pistol in her mouth and dragged her into her home. Upon entering the home, the boys saw that Mary didn't have much in terms of possessions to steal. It just makes me so sad talking about this. And this infuriated them. Linwood ordered her to strip off her clothing, and James proceeded to rape the poor woman. Duncan was then ordered to rape her next, and he complied. Remember his age. He's 12. Anthony was just disgusted by all of this, and he didn't take part in the sexual assault. Um, at least there's a shining point for one of these kids. To punish Anthony for not raping her, Linwood ordered Anthony to shoot Miss McGowan, but he froze and he couldn't pull the trigger. 
In the time that Anthony hesitated, the woman started to flee out her front door. But Linwood picked up his 357 and shot her in the back four times, then stood over her dying body and shot her in the back of the head. James yelled out like a war cry as he hopped into the car with the rest of the crew and they sped away, leaving Mary McGowan's body slumped on the front porch. Literal animals. Yeah, seriously. And not the good kind of animals. No, not at all. On the drive home, Anthony was visibly shaken. He was like, what just happened? His older brother looked at him and said, don't worry, you'll get the next one. News of the rape and murder of Miss McGowan spread quickly, but again, police just had no trace of anything. You know, DNA's not a thing back then. No, not at all. It's just another robbery-motivated homicide. That's all it was. Back at the Briley house, the boys were informed that their aunt from Philadelphia had passed away. The family was going to leave Duncan behind and take a road trip to stay with their Uncle John and attend their aunt's funeral. Linwood was actually more than thrilled to go. First of all, it would behoove the boys to skip town for a bit and let the frenzy around their last crime die down. And also, his Uncle John was his favorite. Mm. In fact, Uncle John was the one that had taught Linwood to hunt when he was eight years old. And he had been the one to gift him a rifle. I couldn't find if this was the same rifle that Linwood killed his first victim with, but my guess is probably so. And that's nothing to fault his uncle, right? That's a very nope. common thing back in that time frame. Is, mm-hmm. You know, teach your, you know, if you're a hunter, even nowadays, if you're if you're a hunter and you have sons that are eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, it's nothing to take them hunting, take them hunting, and teach them, even buy them their first low caliber twenty two rifle. You keep that though like that. in a safe. <laughs> uh, but back then you didn't because it wasn't the same kind of time period. It wasn't like nowadays. Something tells me if Linwood was my kid, it'd be. An, I don't think I would own a gun. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Even in a safe, <laughs> I would. I wouldn't own a gun either with that kid around. He's scary. The boys decided to drive their own car to Philly, and this thrilled their parents to death because they're terrified of their kids. Like, Fuck yeah! I don't want to ride. Like with hell you yeah, y'all go. Psycho fucks. It- <laughs> Shit! Get out of my car. Demon spawn. <laughs> they truly didn't want to be anywhere near them. In the days after the funeral, Uncle John took the boys and James Sr., dad, out hunting in the, is it the Tehran Forest outside of Philly? Tehran Forest? How do you say that? Kind of, but you know, you know what's funny about that? In my head, in my head, in my head, I'm like, send those kids up there and drop them off with the Jersey Devil. Bye. Well, you know what's 70 miles east of Philly? The, the yeah, Pine Barrens. The Pine Barrens. So just the drop them Jersey there and let the Jersey Devil, Devil eat them. I like that so idea. So let them all go have it out with the Jersey Devil. Let's do that. If y'all haven't looked into it, well, after, one of the craziest cryptid stories, much like the Mothman, check it out. Jersey we Devil. can do it one time. Hell yeah, because that's a near and dear to my heart because I grew up about 70 miles from the Jersey Devil. So, Well, after this story, I think their dad and uncle will probably agree with you that yeah. they should have done that. Okay. About an hour into their hunt, Linwood spotted a large deer and shot it with perfect aim. James Sr. and Uncle John watched in horror as Linwood nearly broke his damn back racing to the convulsing animal, yanked its head back, and slit its throat. Oh, shit. Then they were, but which is what you, I guess you do sometimes, but he's you, so, like, enjoying it. So when you're hunting an animal like that, right, and you shoot it and it's not dead, it's dying, you do go and usually stab it or shoot it again to put it out of its misery, but you don't race after it to cut its throat. You're not, like. 
It's I'm a, getting it's it first. A, it's a human No one kill, else right? do it. Yeah. So you're hunting it, and nine times out of ten, you're hunting it for the meat or whatever it is. You, you give it a humane kill if it's not dead. They, everybody was just fairly disturbed at the enthusiasm he had in finishing off this deer. Everybody but his brothers, of course. They were probably like, fuck yeah, buddy. Even little Anthony further disturbed his dad by drinking the blood of the dead deer. Oh. I know it's, well, never mind. I'm not going to go there. So it sounds like a fun family day to me. Sunday fun day. <laughs> Apparently. Soon after, it was time for the Motley crew to return home to Richmond and kill humans again. The brothers felt re-energized from their relaxing vacation. Relaxing vacation. <laughs> but it was time for them to get back to work. And now we're going to go on a killing spree. But before that, it's time for a break. On the night of July 4th, the boys now reunited with Duncan, who apparently hadn't found Jesus in the time that he had been separated from his friends. Probably missed him. We're just hanging out in the park looking for trouble when they spotted 17-year-old Christopher Phillips. This poor kid was on his way to his girlfriend's house for a date, and he had stopped off at, a, at Linwood's precious Buick Regal to use the side mirrors to check his reflection and see how he looked, you know. Make sure there were no bats in the cave and his hair was on point. We've all done it, right? Bats in the cave? Like boogers in your nose. Who calls it bats in the cave? Me. Okay. I'm just, I've never heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't? But clearly, that's what you do. You know, you're going to pick your girl up. You're going to go see your girl. You want to touch yourself up. Make sure you're looking smooth and looking fresh before you go see her. Well, this pissed off Linwood. The gang moved towards Christopher, yelling expletives at him, accusing him of scoping out the car and trying to steal it. Christopher, certain this was just a misunderstanding, was like, no, no, guys, I was just using your mirror, right? James then kicked Christopher in the stomach with so much force that it sent poor Chris to the ground in the fetal position. The rest of the gang joined in with endless kicks and punches before dragging him into the backyard of a nearby abandoned home where the beating continued. Linwood then walked over to a trash pile, took a large cinder block, walked back to the bloody and beaten 17-year-old kid, and slammed the block onto his head, crushing his skull. Duncan and Anthony searched the boy's pockets and took his wallet. Then they snatched a small gold chain from around the dead boy's neck before running back to the car and peeling away from the scene. Brutal. Yeah. Then they went out hunting again. I believe it was the same night. Nope, it wasn't, but close. John Gallagher, or it's Gallagher, I'm sorry, a.k.a. Johnny G. He was a local disc jockey, a country and western disc jockey. They have a country western DJs? They do. Okay. And he was also a bass player, performing at a small club on the south side of town. And with all the noise and the drunken crowd, he just stepped out to smoke a cigarette and get some fresh air while just chilling on the hood of his car. Seconds before he was about to return back inside, get back to work, a Buick Regal pulled up quickly behind him and four men donning ski masks hop out and immediately begin assaulting him. They took his keys and wallet from his back pocket, popped the trunk of his Lincoln and threw him inside. 
the original plan was to find the DJ's address and rob his residence, but Johnny had no form of ID on him. So on to plan B. They were going to get his address off of his driver's license. Mm -hmm. James and Duncan drove off with the Lincoln, while Linwood and Anthony drove Linwood's car to Mayo Island, a hangout on the shores of the James River. Once there, they opened the trunk and demanded that Johnny tell them where he lived. He refused, so the gang beat him. Then James shot him with a thirty-eight pistol and tossed his body into the river, but not before pulling a large gold and diamond horseshoe-shaped ring off of his finger. Two weeks later, the boys decided to break into an apartment they had been casing. This was the apartment of two local drug dealers, so they knew they'd score big time, right? Either drugs or money, they're going to get something they can get get cash for, or they're going to get cash. And drug dealers don't use bank accounts. Right, exactly. So they have cash. They keep cash somewhere. No take checks. (laughs) So on September 30th, they broke into the small apartment where a skinny dude and his girlfriend were selling prescription drugs. Now, this is actually kind of funny. The gang had forgotten their ski masks at home. So in an effort to disguise themselves and all look alike, right, like they were part of a gang, they all wore just what was in their car. It was They had colorful tape, and they just taped up their faces, which made them look ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> in my head, I'm picturing them looking like spring breakers, the girls in the movie yeah, looking absolutely. so stupid, running around with guns in these, like, pink. What are you doing, Purge? <gasps> Not even that cool. <laughs> what are you doing, weirdo? And these guys are drug dealers. So they're probably like, well, you're high on some shit, bro. What is going on here? You know what I mean? But the, Patrick, that stupidity did not stop there. Once they were inside, they discovered that these weren't big-time drug dealers. They're just middlemen. The only thing of value in that apartment were a couple of bucks and a few leftover pills. <laughs> so the gang left with, they didn't hurt the couple, which actually surprised That's me. really weird. I think they were embarrassed is what happened. Because they finally planned something and it didn't work? Yeah, this is the first time they planned it, and it didn't work. I think they're they had their tail between their legs because they they weird, went out to to correct that mistake afterwards. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's but. weird because even when they've done stuff before, when they were embarrassed or they messed up, like Linwood would lose his shit and just fuck people up. Well, he does, just not them. But I'm not sure why them too. As I'm saying, that's what's weird about it is he would normally like if he was trying to rob you and he didn't have shit. He'd get mad and then kill you. I wonder if they promised him like more pills or something later. Like, hey, we'll give you a lifetime of Maybe free pills. Maybe they were just so thrown off because they didn't have their masks, so they were just in a frazzle, and they were just like, oh, fuck it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they laughed at him when they walked, or laughed at the boys when they walked Bro, through the door. The, what are you wearing, dude? <laughs> but then again, Linwood's losing his temper at everybody else and killing them, so why wouldn't he do that then if they did that? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I think of when I think of them with their colorful tape on their face? I think of, remember the kid from the Robin Williams hook? It was mm-hmm. Rufio. <laughs> That's what I think of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either way, whatever you think of, it's ridiculous. But this was a huge hit to Linwood's ego, and he was out for blood after this oh, mishap. Okay. There you go. So, like, this night, okay, like, they left this apartment, and they went out hunting again. And they would spot 62-year-old semi-retired nurse Mary Wilfung picking up a gallon of milk at a corner store after her shift. And they all agreed that's going to be our next target. So they followed her home. Right as she pulled into our apartment parking spot, 
They pulled up directly behind her and jumped out of the vehicle. She was blocked in, but she quickly just reached around and locked all the doors to her car. That's all she can do. Mm -hmm. The brothers collectively pounded on their doors, her doors, hood and windows, and she screamed in absolute terror. Imagine men dressed in black ski masks beating on your car. Yeah, no shit. Fuck that. Jesus. Linwood, who was freaking huge, punched in the driver's side window of the car with his fist and just drug her out like nothing. He's a big dude. It's a big dude. That's a, that's a strong dude right there. He was worried that her screams would cause attention, so he struck her in the head with a bat with such force that her head cracked open and she died instantly. I have a question. Yes. I don't know if it's a question, more of a comment. Because um, I bet it's the same as mine. Go ahead. This attests to how fucking stupid these kids You're are. You're worried her screams are going to alert people? That, and that wasn't my thing. It's like, he, she's screaming in the car. You're beating on it. Mm-hmm. So he punches mm-hmm. the fucking window. Shh, Linwood. <laughs> but, no, but but because she's screaming, he beats her with a bat. So why the fuck didn't you use the bat to break the window? I think it's more of a power move. Talk about toxic masculinity. I mean, <laughs> That's if, Linwood. If you have a bat in your hand or right accessible to you, that clearly it was really close to him or accessible, mm-hmm. why don't you use that to break the window? Why are you punching it? I don't know. Linwood's, you know, he's... That's what I'm saying. He's fucking stupid. Yeah, Linwood's something else. So they grabbed her keys and ransacked her small apartment, taking only money and jewelry. It wasn't really a lucrative job, but it gave them right a fix. It was a thrill to make up for their last botched robbery. They're beating somebody. They're probably killing somebody. They're they're stealing. They're, they're, They're making up for it, and they're getting some money out of it. So as the month came to an end, no suspects were ever even questioned about any of their murders. So the gang felt far more comfortable riding around the city and hunting, and they well, quickly found their next victim. And again, we keep we keep talking about how no victim or no suspects were ever brought to all that stuff, right? Because it's again, it's the crack epidemic. Yeah, and they're robbing every single time. That's the only common trend is a robbery, right? Right. So that fits that whole crack epidemic. Now, mm-hmm. if they're just killing people, people are gonna be like, they didn't steal anything. Okay, this is definitely like a murder, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time now, it just looks like a robbery gone wrong. In every single scenario, it looks like, except for the first one because they were tied up and burned alive. Mm-hmm. Everything else just looks like a robbery gone wrong. Like, hey, we stole your shit and we shot you. Hey, we stole your shit and we beat you to death. Hey, mm-hmm. we stole your shit and smashed your head in. Yeah. <clears throat> it just looks like robbery gone wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So, are, I mean, are police really diving into each one of these like a murder suspect or more of a robbery gone wrong? Yeah. there. It wasn't... It wasn't... Um, Tar- they weren't targeted to kill them or rape them. It was, and that's not all that happened, right? The robbery that's the robbery is the key piece here to me for the law enforcement. Absolutely, because of the crack epidemic and all the stuff that's going on at the same time period. And Richmond's not a small town by any means; it's a city. We've been there. Yeah, and my parents lived in Virginia Beach for years. We went to Richmond and all those areas. Um, anyway, it's not a small town, right? It's not like Podunk, Oklahoma. Oh, it's nice. It's a very nice. I mean, it's got some. It's got some rougher areas to it, like every city. Like does. every city, mm-hmm. but it's not a small town by any means. So you know, crack epidemic, all that stuff going on. Robberies are the key here. That's what's keeping it from being, I think, tied together. So they found their next victims. I didn't. I'm sure it doesn't take long for these. Yadis. It doesn't. It doesn't. Elderly couple Charles Garner and Blanche Page, fifty nine and seventy nine respectively, were at their home carving pumpkins for Halloween. Drinking wine. Wholesome. Yeah, I mean, that's messed up. That's what, you know. I know. I know. 
Charles walked outside to retrieve his cigarette lighter from his car when he spotted a car full of men driving past his house slowly, but he didn't really think much of it, you know? Whatever. It's a little weird, but okay. Well, I see cars driving by slowly, and they're like, oh, I missed my turn trying to go to another house. You got to take it into context, right? If you live like we do in a normal neighborhood in a lot of suburbia where houses are 10 feet apart from each other, it's nothing if someone drives by slowly. Yeah. If you're living in a more rural area where you got, you know, a couple hundred yards between you and the next house, they're driving by slowly. Don't drive by slowly. (laughs) That's a whole different story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, as he walked back inside, he noticed the front porch light was out. So he thought, hey, I better go ahead and change the bulb while I'm thinking about it, yeah. right? He yelled for Blanche to bring him a new bulb. And she went to the utility closet to grab one. When she came out to bring him one, Charles was nowhere to be found. She called out for him, but there was no answer. She did, however, notice a dark car, a long black Lincoln Remember whose car that is? Yeah, that's the car they stole. Yep. It was parked right next to her mailbox. She tried to figure out, like, who the hell is that? But right as she was looking out the front door, she heard a floorboard creak from inside the house behind her. She turned around to find James Briley holding a wooden bat. Before she could react, he smashed the bat over her head, killing her instantly. And... She's the lucky one in all this. I'll tell you that. Well, she's dead instantly, so I'm mm-hmm. sure it didn't go well for her husband. Charles. Charles was gagged and tied up in the den next to a loud TV. He whimpered and cried, and he saw Blanche laying on the floor, head split open before, with all the blood draining out from her wound. So he knew like she's, she's dying or dead, one of the two. As Anthony and Duncan did their usual sweep of the house— Taking some smaller items, Linwood and James went and gathered all of the sharp, this is weird, they gathered all of the sharp items they could find in the home, laid them out in a pile in front of Charles, looked him in the eye, and was like, are you ready to die? Poor Charles attempted to scoot the chair towards the front door, but the brothers just laughed at him, and they let him scoot while laughing at him, because they're sadistic. Yeah, so that's why they put the knives and the sharp objects in front of them. Like, hey, we're either going to torture you or kill you with this stuff. You ready for it? Like, it's just, so it's just taunting is Jesus. what it is. And they're a bunch of, I'm going to throw this out there. They're a bunch of fucking pussies. Yeah, I hate them. Like, I hate not them. Not only do they do this bullshit in a group of four, which mm-hmm. is a little bitch ass shit, but they also go after soft targets. So they go after elderly women. Be elderly a man folks. and do it in groups of one or two. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm joking. Just, I'm t- they're I'm not going to do that. And they're not going to go after a guy that's 19 or 20 years old right. by themselves. They're not going to go no. after anything. That's what I'm saying. They're going after yeah. soft targets. They're weak. They're little bitches. Usually elderly, I'm noticing. It is because they're easy. Not they're always, soft targets. They're, yeah. And by a soft target, I mean they're a soft target is something that can't resist. They're just not going to fight back. Yeah. It's easy. It's an easy It's an easy attack. So they let Charles get as far as the doorway before James whacked him over the head with a bat. Not mm-hmm. hard enough to kill him. Where are you going, bitch? Let me just smack you with his fucking yeah. bat in the head and you can't stop Linwood then grabbed three, yes, three knives, one big one in one hand and two smaller ones in the other and began viciously stabbing Charles in the neck and back with both hands. James then hit him a few more times in the head with bat just because James always had to have a piece of the pie, you know? Oh, yeah, he just had to follow his big brother's lead. Convulsing and critically wounded, Charles lost consciousness, thankfully in my opinion. 
That's a blessing because Linwood then stood over him and pushed a pair of thick bladed fabric scissors through the back of Charles's neck with so much force that the scissors stuck in the floorboard beneath him. Charles actually was still alive, if you can believe this. He began to choke on his own blood, so Linwood used a big barbecue fork. We have one. Lots of people have one. We know what it looks like. He stabbed that in his back to finish the job. Charles had finally succumbed to his heinous attack. I mean, he was going to succumb to that no matter what. Anyways, but it was just prolonged agony. You push scissors through the back of his neck. He's probably not dead instantly because maybe you nicked a vein in an artery or the throat. They're not. It's not an instant death. It's just a long, slow death. The sheer cruelty. These boys, specifically James and Linwood, are just the most horrific creatures. I'm not even going to call them humans. And I wrote in my notes that, <laughs> this is funny, I wrote in my notes that they don't deserve to exist, kind of like those flying scorpions <laughs> that we saw. On um, remember on Facebook I sent you the flying scorpions. Oh yeah, like yeah, why yeah. do scorpions need to fly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I view them. Like why do why do you exist? Why are you here? Why are you here? Go away, back to hell from whence you came. Jesus. So after they were sure that Charles was dead, the boys all piled up in their stolen Lincoln and drove off, celebrating by passing around a marijuana joint and a bottle of liquor, as they do, right? Now, this is going to be a tough one. It's the most violent of their crimes. However, this, this is going to be the gang's final act, the culmination of their reign of terror. So The pinnacle, if you will. Yep. So grab your bootays because, <laughs> and also trigger warning, this involves a child. This was tough. This was the one that kept me up at night. This one and the burning one. This is, just keeps running through my head and I'm never going to get rid of it. I mean, yeah. I'll discuss it with the therapist later. Fourteen days after the vicious murder and robbery of Blanche and Charles, the Briley, the Briley's neighbors, Harvey Wilkerson, his pregnant wife, Judy Barton, and their five-year-old son, Harvey Jr., who they called Little Harvey. Little Harvey, I like that. Were finishing up their dinner. Judy had just started the dishes, and Harvey Sr. was getting ready to take the trash out. Just a very normal, wholesome family evening together, Pretty right? Pretty much what every family does yep. on a daily basis, even today. Yep. Little Harvey begged to take the trash out with his dad. He wanted to be helpful. He wanted to be a big helper. He wanted to be a big boy. Which is so sweet. Yeah. So Harvey agreed, and he took his son outside to dump the trash just, just to the curb. It was not a big trip, but, you know. On the way back to the house from the curb, he saw the Briley gang hanging out on the corner. He had accidentally made eye contact with the elder brother, Linwood, and instantly regretted it. So he gave Linwood a friendly nod, like, hey, how you doing? And then rushed his young son back inside. Yeah, because they're neighbors, Get the right? Fuck inside. Yeah. yeah. So, like, we don't fuck with those kids. Three doors down. Yeah, we don't fuck. Everybody probably in the neighborhood is like, you don't fucking even make eye contact with the Briley's. Like, fuck them. Don't even yeah. acknowledge their existence. They wanted a fucking gator. <laughs> They're fucking psychos. As soon as they were back inside, Harvey Sr. ordered his wife to hurry and close all the windows, all the blinds. That's how scared people were of these dudes. Yeah, like, his parents have five badlocks on their door. His parents, yeah. His parents who live with them. So the neighbors are probably like, oh, and they already know, <laughs> they already know that he killed a neighbor. a neighbor. Yep. And the other brother went to jail for shooting at the cops and shit years ago. So, like, they already know they're fucking psycho. Yep. 
And they probably know at this point, like, we're done. And they know there's a whole shit ton of crimes. Yeah. And I can't, you can't tell me, like, yeah, maybe police don't have suspects, but neighborhoods talk. People talk. People in the neighborhood are probably like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the fucking Briley kids. Because they're the, they're that family. You know what I mean? They're those kids. Yeah. And Duncan. But you, you know what I mean? Freaking Duncan. But the neighborhood is like, you know everybody in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know the kids that are the troublemakers. Yeah. When shit starts oh, yeah. popping off all around your neighborhood, you're like, I would not be surprised if it was probably those fucking kids. As Harvey Sr. peeked through the blinds to see if the gang was still there, he was super relieved to see that they were no longer at their corner. Yeah. Ain't on the corner no more, boss. But just then there was a loud bang at their front door. Linwood yelled from outside the door. He said, open the door, Harvey. I saw you outside already. The family looked at each other. And Judy was whispering and like motioning. I'm doing like I'm I know it's not a video, but I'm motioning. She was like, please don't open the door, like waving at her Mm -hmm. husband. Do not open the door. And she was clutching her son. So everyone was scared. Then the thuds came again, causing little Harvey to jump like he was scared. Harvey Sr. went to the kitchen and grabbed a small steak knife. That's all he had and tucked it into his waistband. And Linwood yelled. You better come open the door before I kick it down. I'm sure he added in some expletives. Harvey Sr. instructed his wife and son to go into the bedroom, lock the door. With them out of sight, he slowly unlocked the front door and started to turn the knob. But as he did so, Linwood kicked the door open. All four gang members walked in and Linwood placed a large black 357 on the coffee table and said, where your wife at? Ever since y'all moved here, your wife has been waving and smile at me. That's doubtful, Linwood. Mm-hmm. No one likes you. No. Harvey begged Linwood to just take whatever he wanted and leave. But as you can probably deduce by now, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> Linwood instructed Harvey to go and get his wife and son or else he was going to go get them himself. Now, Harvey was not about to put his family at risk willingly. No, hell no. So he pulled out the knife and he tried, right? He's like, you know what? I'm just going to give it a go. And he took solid swings at Linwood's throat area, but he ultimately missed. He almost had him. Linwood punched Harvey, knocking him down. Swing it, you stab it. I'm just saying. The rest of the gang then began to punch and kick him repeatedly. So Harvey's out of pocket right now. By now, poor Judy had heard all of this awful commotion from the bedroom, and she just wants to help her husband, right? So she came running out, wielding a lamp above her head in an attempt to defend herself and her man. She took a swing at James, who in turn punched her in her pregnant belly before grabbing the lamp from her grip. Judy had fallen against the wall, coughing, wheezing from the wind being knocked out of her. We all know how that feels. And I can't imagine how it feels being pregnant. Yeah, it like being pregnant. It's even worse. Jesus. He's gotta be, Harvey's got to be like, because he knows she's pregnant. He's watching all this happen and he's trying to defend his family. Like, mm-hmm. Shit. Judy had fallen against the wall, coughing and wheezing from the wind being knocked out of her. Harvey tried to get up and help her, but the gang beat him up to an absolute pulp. And he was, if he was helpless before, he's done now. Then Linwood grabbed Judy and dragged her to the kitchen where he proceeded to rape her. After he was done, Linwood called 12-year-old Duncan over and demanded that he rape her as well while he held her arms down. 
Please remember that their little five-year-old boy was in the living area witnessing most of this. After the assault, the boys draped sheets over a badly beaten Harvey Sr., Judy, and even just a terrified five-year-old little Harvey. James then handed Duncan a thirty-eight pistol. He pointed it directly at Harvey Sr.'s head, then squeezed the trigger. James grabbed the pistol and shot little Harvey as well as Judy. They grabbed their minimal loot and ran out the front door at top speed back to their home, three doors down the street. But as luck would have it, guys, two police officers were patrolling the neighborhood and they saw the boys running towards their home. They recognized the brothers, but just couldn't be bothered with them, even though they thought they heard gunshots. That's called bad police work. Yeah, that's called very bad police work. So they just simply continued their patrol and forgot about the sighting for now. Fuck it. If you, heard, if you recognize the brothers and you're scared, just call for fucking backup. Like, shit. However, three days later, an officer came to do a welfare check at the Wilkerson residence. Neighbors were starting to complain about a strong odor coming from the apartment, and the young family hadn't been seen or heard from in days. Of course, officers were met with the most horrible crime scene. I can't imagine finding a family murdered and then, of course, a child, right? But the positive side to this is that the patrol officers who had originally seen the Briley boys running from the vicinity of the family's house came forward, and all three brothers, along with Duncan Minkins, were immediately arrested. Fucking good. You know, like, it's glad they came forward. They should have done it immediately. And thankfully, no one else was murdered in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Because those cops were probably committed suicide knowing that they could have prevented that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. They would have had that guilt to live with. But thankfully, that didn't happen. But good for them for coming forward and be like, holy shit, we saw this shit. We didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Linwood was found by authorities wearing DJ Johnny G's gold and diamond horseshoe ring along with many other stolen items from previous victims of cold cases in their home. Their reign of terror had come to an end, or so we thought, guys. This story is far from over. Okay. (laughs) These guys just don't stop. If there's not a movie about them, there needs to be. And can you believe you have not heard about them? This is insane. I mean, to me. I don't know. No, it's crazy. It's It's definitely what the fuck kind of little. It's like. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. I have to go look at the comparisons again, but the strangers. Oh yeah, kind of. Sorry, just hit the table. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, they were just terrorizing the neighborhood and, and just killing everybody and wearing masks and there's no reason behind it and you know it just reminds me of it. I don't know if there was any comparison or any yeah, probably not from this to that. But pretty it's awesome. Just, just kind of reminds me of it. <laughs> So less than a day after the boys' arrest, Duncan Meekins began to spill the tea to investigators, telling each story with great detail. Ah, but in return, he's 12, but he's not stupid. In return for his testimony, he would be a state witness held in protective custody and would also escape the death penalty. So how could he not be forthright? Yeah, no shit. (laughs) He's fighting for his life right now, man. Yeah, he's fighting not go to jail for the rest of his life or die at 12. Anthony Briley was only 13 years old at this time. And since there was evidently little to no participation from him as far as killing anyone, he would also be spared his life and escape the death penalty. He's going to be 
you know, conspiracy and you know, association and all that kind of stuff. However, the two older psychotic brothers, Linwood and James, wouldn't be so lucky, and rightfully so. They're both stone cold killers. Plus, the state had a ton of evidence against them, and they planned on prosecuting the pair to the fullest extent of the law. They were going to seek the death penalty. In jail, awaiting trial, Linwood and James were just as mean, callous, and calculated as they had been out on the streets. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they were calculated on the streets, but yeah, well, they were kind of impulsive. In their way. In their way, they were calculated. Okay, yeah, I can see that. In, in their mentality, they were being calculated by not leaving victims, by doing what they were doing. We see, the only time we see calculation out of these guys is in the end. It's crazy. In the fa- and also in the failed robbery that they didn't hurt anybody. Yeah, that's true. That's true. In no time, the pair were, this is in jail, right? The pair were running drugs, cigarettes, and booze and never took the death penalty or any of the upcoming court proceedings seriously. They just didn't give a fuck. Nope. At all. In between the months that the trial was going on, Linwood and James had begun a hostile takeover of sorts in the prison system. They were pod bosses, if you will. (laughs) Uh, They controlled everything. It was said that they were feared, but widely respected. It makes sense, right? Because James is a psychopath. Mm -hmm. And by all accounts, Linwood is a monstrous, menacing man. Right. It doesn't hurt when you're in a place like prison and you're, I don't know how tall or how big he was, but if you're that big of an imposing person on the outside, mm-hmm. you're probably the same way on the inside and you got a psychopath and you're there a duo, so it's not singular. I'm going to have to show you a picture of him. Yeah, but I'm saying he's off. also got his psychopath brother. I know. And he's a psychopath. So not only are you by yourself, you now you have a partner in crime, so it's, you're more dangerous to everybody else. Anthony and Duncan were both sentenced to life in prison. As a state witness, to this day, Duncan is being held in an undisclosed out-of-state facility under an assumed name for protection. So we don't know where he is, what he's going by. Anthony, however, is serving his sentence at Augusta Correctional Center in Staunton, Virginia. Okay. Well, I get because they're state's witnesses, right? Anthony is mm-hmm. their brother, so they're not going to hide him as much. The other yeah. kid, they're who's probably was... He was the one that gave the testimony. He was probably 90% of what they used. Mm -hmm. So they're going to move that kid out of state so the brothers don't know where he is, especially since they're controlling the prison Mm -hmm. because that kid's dead if they find out it's him. Change his name. He's not one of the family members. He's not a brother. People in prison don't like snitches. I've learned that. he's probably in some supermax, you know, in the concrete jungle in Mississippi or he's in Colorado or he's in one of these places where he can be on seg and separated for the rest of his natural life. Yeah, which is no life, so... But he didn't get the death penalty, which is actually, I think, a worse sentence than the death penalty. I think so, too. I hate when killers, like, I understand eye for an eye, mm-hmm. but I hate when, and that was a side topic, and Patrick's hot take, I hate when killers are given the death penalty. Yeah. We say this all the time, because that, they don't have to, that's an easy way out. They're dead within, you know, maybe it doesn't take as quickly as sometimes people think it should, because mm-hmm. of appeals processes, but they're still dead in 15 years. Whereas this kid's 12. It went quicker back then, apparently, with Bundy and them. The appeals weren't as fast back then. Yeah, that's true. Or slow. There wasn't as much red tape. But the funny thing is, if James and Lynn would get the death penalty, Mm -hmm. they're going to be dead by 1990. Yeah. This kid's 12 in the 70s. Mm -hmm. He's going to be alive till 2050. He's in there. Yeah, they're alive now. In natural causes, and he is never leaving prison. Yeah. That, to me, is Is a a harsher penalty than dying. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. The reason I'm against the death penalty is what Patrick said, but also because people don't know this, but 
the death penalty is far more expensive for taxpayers purposes. Especially lethal injection. Yeah. You know, it actually is much more expensive because you got to house them. Than life in prison. You wouldn't think so, but it is. And you have to, you know, the the costs associated with the death penalty Mm -hmm. nowadays, especially because it's much more humane death penalty ways. You know, back when it was a hanging or a firing squad, it was cheap. But, but I want to preface that by saying we also have never been in a situation where we have had a family member brutally taken from us by a killer and we wanted the death penalty regardless. Even then, so I wouldn't I can't, want the death penalty. I, I can't, I can't suffer. say what I would want. When I, if I had to, if that ever, God forbid, happened to me in my lifetime and mm-hmm. I had to go to court and testify, I would beg the jury and the judge, mm-hmm. do not execute this person. Let them suffer in their life for mm-hmm. the rest of their natural born lives in an eight by 10 cell without ever seeing the life or their families or anything outside again, mm-hmm. let them wallow in misery for the next 70 years. I mean, I think that's worse than the death penalty and I like the it. The death penalty is an escape. I think so too. Even though these guys didn't think so. They were especially scared of by it. lethal injection, you don't suffer. It's not the electric chair. It's not firing squad. Well. It's not hanging. You this get, is when. You get a shot and you go to sleep. Uh, James and Linwood, they were facing the electric chair. Well, this is the 70s. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. nowadays. You don't face that pain or that suffering to die. Oh, yeah, it's easy. You literally get a shot just like you're getting an operation and you're getting anesthesia. You go to sleep, you're dead. That's it. Okay, so enough about those two, the the nicer ones of the bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's go to Linwood and James. Yeah, fuck them. Let them fry. They were both sent to death row at Mecklenburg Correctional Center near Boynton, uh, Virginia. Okay. That's not a nice place. Where they, of course, Took over that facility it's as not well. not a nice place either. Which is odd to me that they were sent to the same place also. Yeah, they, uh, you would think you would separate the two. As I mean, I would think. They're clearly in cahoots in everything, everything. they do. Yeah, they're joined at the They hill. were running other prisons together. And now they're running this one. Now remember, this is death row, and they managed to still instill fear into even these guys who were the worst of the worst. Yeah, that's it's something that's saying something. If you can scare everybody on death row, you're a fucking evil human. You're being. a bad mama jamba. You're an evil human being if you can scare, you know, murderers, mass murderers. They bribed and bullied their way to the top of the food chain there. That's what they did. But again, they're in a they're in a pair. So Yeah. Death row is much more isolated, it's less crowded. So it's two on one in everything, basically. Now Linwood and James hadn't given up hope of getting out. So they started a lengthy appeals process, which ultimately fell through, though. There's no way they can appeal shit. No, not them. But that's not going to deter Linwood and James from getting out. Oh, no, no, no. They take what they want. Do we have an escape attempt? They used what very little minimal charisma this pair had to gain the trust not just the fear of the other inmates, and they convinced four other inmates to orchestrate an escape along with them. And here's how they did it. They probably it. fucking scared him into it. On May 31st, 1984, the inmates all gathered in the yard for a wreck time around 6 p.m., where all of the inmates participating in the escape had their hair cut neatly and their beards and mustaches trimmed up. All a part of the plan, and you'll see why here in a sec. They all look the same. By 8 p.m., it was time to put the plan in action. There was a restroom adjacent to a guard's office, and one of the inmates was able to slip in there unnoticed. When the guard opened the door to his office, the prisoner burst out from the bathroom and overpowered him, 
and caught the off and caught the office door before it closed and automatically locked. Then the gang of six emerged and surprised attack the remaining guards. Linwood even attempted, of course, because it's Linwood, they attempted to rape a prison nurse, but he was stopped, thankfully, by another inmate who insisted they just needed to hurry. Yeah, okay. Bro, what the fuck are Jesus. you doing? We don't have time for this shit. Let's get the fuck out of here. I hate him. The inmates walked out from the front gates almost to freedom. Now, this part of the plan had gone surprisingly well, but the next part was the most difficult. The inmates grabbed an old gurney from the medical room and a few sheets, bedding, as well as an old TV from the guards' room. Hmm, what are they doing with that? The six of them then had to go through at least 25 guards, incapacitating all of them, tying each of them up, stripping them down in search of a guard uniform that would fit each of them, right? Which in Linwood's is huge dude, so it probably doesn't fit him. Yeah, you just have to get two and tape them together. Jesus. Coupled with their new neat and tidy haircuts and manscaping, they looked the part. They looked so like, guards. like guards. Yeah, they're clean cut and they're freshly shaven. Okay. No one was going to question them. So then, get this, y'all. They put the TV on the gurning and draped a sheet over top of it. James and Linwood walked on either side of the gurney, holding fire extinguishers while yelling, Move out of the way, it's a bomb! What the fuck? It's actually kind of smart for them. Ultimately, the guards, I guarantee you, they weren't the ones that came up with this. Ultimately, the guards would open the front gate like, okay, get it out of here. <laughs> and where there was a laundry van waiting for them outside the gates because it was parked there at this time of day, and they knew that. The gang just simply got in and drove away. Six men had just escaped death row. That's insane. Now, when the news hit the wire that six men had escaped, every town within 500 miles was like, oh my God. Holy (laughs) shit. Not only did six people escape from prison, but six convicted death row murderers, (laughs) including the two Riley boys, the Briley boys. Yeah, exactly. Two hours into their escape, the inmates pulled off the road into a non-visible wooded area off of I-85, right outside of South Carolina, I think. North Carolina. Which one's closer to... North Carolina. North Carolina. We'll just go ahead and um, edit that out. (laughs) Nope, that's me. That is staying. (laughs) I don't have my map of the USA in front of me. (laughs) Um, And when they pulled off the off the road into the wooded area, they changed into some civilian clothes that they had also stolen from the guards. Their well-thought-out plan ultimately just ended here. And from here on out, they were just winging it. Yeah, what the fuck do we do now? Yeah, exactly. Shit. The Briley's and two of the other inmates separated from the rest and found a clearing in the woods where a little house stood. In the front of the house was a blue pickup truck with the keys still in the ignition. Oh, my God, the luck. Can you imagine? Why am I not that lucky? No, seriously. We just escaped. We're running. Oh, look, there's a truck with keys. In clothes. Yeah. And Jesus. Ridiculous. So now they had their own ride. The luck of the Irish was with these guys. The four hit the open road. Now 10 miles in the opposite direction, the other two inmates were making the trek to the west. They needed transportation because they obviously can't be driving a prison van. Yeah. 
It's missing. So (laughs) they walked and walked until they came upon an apartment complex. This is hilarious. Between the two, neither knew how to hotwire a car. These, both these guys spent an hour in this apartment parking lot trying to break into a car. And they just were like, okay, this isn't going to work. So they just found a few bottles of wine in one of the cars and took the bottles to the apartment laundromat and began to drink happily and then passed out around 2 a.m. Okay. Meanwhile, state troopers had found the abandoned prison van and tracker dogs were easily able to track down the two sleeping drunk men to the apartment laundromat where they lay passed out drunk. This gave the state troopers a good laugh. I'm sure they're cracking up like we're chasing after these dudes that masterminded a prison escape from death row and they're just passed out drunk. Like, you got to think on, they man. hadn't eaten. They hadn't. <laughs> and they hadn't drank for, you don't know how long those two dudes were on death row. It could have been 15 forever. years. You know what I mean? That's just hilarious because you know the cops oh, are like. I died. Fucking really, guy. Well, <laughs> like, they actually really? published a newspaper article talking about this and like it was hilarious. It was so funny. I'll have to see. You if do I can all find this it. work to get passed out drunk and fall asleep in a laundromat <laughs> of an apartment? Okay. So stupid. So two of the six inmates had been captured. Just four more to go, including the worst of them all, the Briley brothers. The two inmates who were traveling with the Brileys split from the brothers and attempted to cross the Canadian border. Before that, though, they had to gas up, but they didn't have any money, so they were caught trying to steal gas. So there you go. Now all all that's left is the Briley brothers. Where could they have gone? I guarantee you they're going to go where family is. Or someone they know. Well, the FBI agreed with you because they were scratching their heads as to where the pair could have gone. But then they got an anonymous tip. Do you remember Uncle John from Philly? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember Uncle John. Uh, he was hiding the brothers in his auto store. They were using the names Lucky and Slim, and they actually had managed to kind of be on the road for like 20 days. I mean, which is a feat, you know? They were trying their best to stay under the radar, but ultimately it didn't work. So the pair were apprehended and sent right back to death row. Well, yeah. And if you've watched anything or said anything about like prison escapes and or just escaped convicts or fleeing convicts or, you know, the longer time goes on, the harder it is to find them because more and more area has to be covered. Right. Right. So if they didn't find them within like a certain amount of time back then, they knew they were a couple hundred miles away. And then as that grows, that perimeter just keeps growing and growing. So it's just like... The first place you're going to look is family members. Yep. Because you got no money. You're an escaped convict. Where the fuck are you going to go? Yeah. First place most people are going to go to is their trusted family member that can be like, hey, can you help me out? Right. And their parents are going to be like, no, no, they no. They know go. they can't go to their parents. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, you said earlier, Linwood's Uncle John was his favorite. Taught mm-hmm. him how to do everything. They loved Uncle John. So they're like, yeah, we'll go to, they, they know they're going to look for him back home. Yeah. They won't look for us in Philly with Uncle John. They did. So Linwood and James back on death row were now in isolation because you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, My right? Favorite Your favorite saying. saying. <laughs> play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. On October 12th, uh, that was the day of Linwood's execution, and it, of course, would be a dramatic one. Linwood was allowed to hug his brother James goodbye, but James refused to leave his side, eventually having to be shot with a stun gun to get him away. Good. Linwood's last meal was, quote, whatever the other inmates were having in an effort to have solidarity until the end. It's probably too fucking stupid to decide what he wanted. (laughs) 
This dude's a fucking box of rocks. He's probably like, I don't know what I want. <laughs> he was surprisingly calm, though, as he was escorted to the electric chair. And his final words were, quote, I'm innocent. Whatever they say I did, I didn't do it. And with that, he was electrocuted to death. Bye, bitch. He gone. Less than a year later, it was his brother's turn. Would you believe that he actually married a well-established journalist about three weeks before his death? Her name was Evangeline Redding, and she had agreed to write a book yeah, about that's his why life. She, I was about to say she saw a cash punny. She saw a check. She, <laughs> she knew he was about to die. Didn't they? Didn't have to follow through with shit. Didn't even have to sleep with the dude. Mm-mm. She just saw cash money, and she had the rights by being married to him. She has the rights to his estate, which is everything. Yep. His story, everything. Do you know that uh, he raped elderly women? Just asking. she didn't care. She saw money. She saw dollar signs. That would kind of be a red flag for me. I don't know. This is me. She was just a money-hungry person. So April 19th, 1985, his execution day came a lot faster than he would have liked. He was scared to die. We see that a lot with these guys, like Bundy. And, yeah, and we always brother, say Bundy. Right? And his brother's gone now. So his brother was his protection and his security blanket. Mm-hmm. You look through all the crimes. He followed Big Linwood. Linwood was the you know the instigator. Yeah. James looked at him as his safety net. So he would do anything with Linwood around. Now that Linwood's gone, he's a little bitch. I guarantee you. The other inmates actually protested his execution by refusing to eat and hurling objects at the guards. It was a mess. Not quite a riot, but close. It's going to happen no matter what. Fuck it. But regardless, the time came <laughs> anyways. <laughs> We're going to fucking kill this dude. Y'all can just calm down. And in an act of poetic justice... James was escorted to sit in the same exact chair that his brother had fried in just less than a year earlier. I mean, it is poetic justice, but at the same time, they don't have like 12 chairs to choose from. They've won. We <laughs> got one chair. They're in the same prison. You're going to be in the same chair your brother was in. You know what I mean? After he was strapped in, his final words were, are you happy? Yes, we are. Yeah, motherfucker, we are. I would yes, have said yes, are, motherfucker, as I flipped the switch. Like, <laughs> yes. And that, guys, is the story of the deranged, evil, Briley brothers. That's some fucked up dudes right there. Can you believe that this is not more common knowledge? You say that every episode. Thank you. And every episode you bring me or you bring us and all the listeners and everybody here, like you bring us these fucking nice, crazy stories that like. I appreciate it. No one can fathom. And I see, you know, we talk about our our, our, uh, podcast community and I see all these people and like every one of our, you know, podcast friends that are, you know, talking about us and we share their stuff and they're always like, how have I never heard this story? I wonder the same thing. Sometimes I I hear, but I hear their cases and I'm like, how have I never heard? I think what we're into, you know, it's just our different genres. But even so, you've never heard of half the ones we do. You look at, you look for this stuff and find it and then what? catches your eye like it catches you saying like i never heard this one let's How? dive into this this oh, is nuts this is crazy and then you tell me and i'm like this huh? crazy because huh? of course i get it we've all heard the the zodiac the green yeah. river the co-ed killer ted bundy you know the night stalker everybody knows the famous ones. which we'll do of but, course but i mean we can but i mean i'm just it's always fascinating I, I to me yeah when you get the gorilla killer you get the butcher you get these psychopaths. You get the mm-hmm. vampire of Sacramento. You get all these stories that are so evil. They're evil. so evil. Even like, pudding. How is no one? 
talked about this stuff. I know. How is this not brought to like the forefront? Like the Briley brothers should be a freaking the movie. The torso killer. And I'm I'm claiming it right now. <laughs> you know, the torso killer, we we were talking about it and we were talking about it with Vic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You he was know, like, like, oh my God, yeah. And we had to, he was like, wait, you mean the Times Square killer? And we're like, that guy. And he was like, holy crap, yeah, that dude. Like, yeah, oh, yeah I remember that. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, crazy. A, he wasn't a cop or a detective at the time, but he remembers the stories. Well, yeah, it was in his hometown. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, I mean, these people are just, how is the world don't know about them? Everybody knows about these trendy ones, Son of Sam, mm-hmm. you know, all the you know, ones we've already mentioned. Dor- yeah. Dor- even Dorothy Puente, which was kind of a famous one we covered, and I know, I think, who was it? How was it? Sips or somebody else covered them recently. Yeah, Spilling the Crime. Spilling the Crime. I love Spilling them. Spilling the Crime covered them. Shout out Spilling the Crime. Um, Jonas yeah, and I apologize. I'm spilling the crime that they, they, they cover them. Um, it's just like I mean, a lot of people know those stories. I mean, mm-hmm. knows. It's just like it's, I wonder if you have this like crazy Reddit you subscribe to. It's just like the most fucked up serial killers in all of history. Check them out. No one knows them. Like I'm like, how do you find this shit? It just blows my mind every time. I can't figure out Reddit, so that's not a thing. But yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you just ruined my whole point there. I get you though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just, it just baffles me that you find these things and you continue to shock me. You continue to shock, you know, the listeners. Oh, good. The fucked up. This was the longest find. compliment I think you've ever given me. Because I'm amazed by it. Because this is not like a once a week thing. This is a weekly thing. You're doing this and it just blows my mind how you do it. I, I don't, appreciate I don't, it. I don't understand it. Appreciate I don't know, it. I have the stomach to do this shit sometimes. You know, I don't either. <laughs> Fuck. I think it's because I'm a Scorpio. I would be drunk the entire time trying to research this <laughs> shit. <laughs> Just to be honest with you. But, um, well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, yeah, that's, this, this one bothered me for sure. Yeah, but, um, specifically that last one is, is rough, right? It's, 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 it's real rough, anything involving kids. But, um, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you back here again this time next week. We love you. Be good to each yeah, other. Be good to each other. Do better. Just do fucking better. Do lots better. Be better humans. Be more caring. Care about your your neighbors and your friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. We pride ourselves on not doing anything political or anything on the show. We we do not. But you know, the only message is you know just do better. Take care of each other. Look out for each other, please. Yep. Absolutely. We love you guys. Bye. <laughs>